Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. I love going to church. It's a great time to catch up with my friends, hear a cracking sermon, and celebrate our Lord. We have church at Stefano's house. We always rock up early because I try and help set up so everything's ready. And the food is amazing. He always puts on such a great spread and his wife is an amazing cook. Um, they're so hospitable. We sit down, we sing some songs and we have a meal. And my favourite part is when Stefano says, guys, remember why we're here. The Lord died and rose again. And we pick up our goblets and we praise the Lord and we celebrate and we drink. Sunday is the best day of the week. I hate going to church. It's at Stephanus's house and my master brings me. I mean, I believe in Jesus and I, and I understand what he did for us and how he loves us. But when we rock up to church, I'm made to wait outside because I'm a servant. Servants don't go into the main house. And so we stand outside in the atrium. And so throughout the night, we can hear singing and celebrating. There's a sermon, but we can only hear some of the words and they eat. My master hasn't let me eat all day. <laughs> and through the open door, I hear them all hush and the host says, Guys, remember why we're all here. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died and rose again. That's great for them that are warm and inside and eating and celebrating and drinking together, getting drunk. But what about me? I'm alone, I'm outside and I'm hungry. Sunday is the worst day of the week. That's the experience of uh, many Christians in the first century of the church of Corinth. And unfortunately, that's the experience of many Christians today feeling... Uh, ostracized or excluded from church because of the way we do things and the way uh, we worship, uh, the way we gather around Jesus and the way we do things like communion, the Lord's Supper. We're, in a, uh, we're continuing in our series, How to Church, and um, last week we had Mike Lamey, who's one of our elders, come and uh, begin the uh, the first half of chapter 11 on women and head coverings and all that complicated, controversial stuff. And it was an excellent message. If you haven't listened to it, it's well worth uh, listening to. It was a little bit longer in the evening, uh, but worth your time to catch up. And so now we, we move to the second half of chapter 11 uh, to an issue that, would you believe, is even more divisive historically uh, than the place of women in the church. And that's the Lord's Supper, communion, the bread and the wine that Christians eat uh, to celebrate Jesus. So what we're going to do, I'm going to read the passage for us, and uh, then we'll uh, work through, uh, through it with these questions. What was the problem? What was actually handed down to them? And what do we do now? 
So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, We're going to start at verse 17 and work through to 34. Paul says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, uh, sorry, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns, till he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned in the world with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, whether you gather to eat, you should all eat together. When you gather, gather to eat, sorry, you should eat, all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will bring, give further instructions. So what was the problem? What was the problem that Paul was addressing? When in the first half of the chapter, he says, I commend you on some stuff. And this one, he comes out and he says, I've got nothing good to say about you in this next bit. He's very angry. He's very concerned with how the Corinthians are behaving around this issue. And it's about abusing the Lord's Supper. Uh, he, he speaks of uh, when the Corinthians gather, it, what they're doing is not the Lord's Supper, um, but what they're doing is something that's dividing the church, that's, that's separating people. 
And, and I think um, Christian and Emma kind of illustrated it for us, the issue for us, really well, what was happening uh, in those days where the rich would come and they'd be welcomed into the, the main house because they, they were a series of house churches in Corinth at the time and, and they would put on a meal and have a great time and drink and, you know, have a section for the Lord's Supper and, and say the words and, and, and celebrate that. But on the, in the outside, because this is the, the cultural norm at the time, slaves and uh, poor and, and those who are less, you know, socially acceptable were kept in the atrium outside the house. They were kind of in the property and so kind of part of church, uh, but they were still separated because that, that's, what, that's how you just lived in Corinth at the time. That's how they uh, did life and, and how they ran houses is slaves were outside Rich were on the inside, the poor out, rich in. And then they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. And by doing that, just kind of exaggerate, exacerbate this separation, this division. They're dividing people. And by doing that, it's humiliating those who have nothing. And so this, this tradition, this incredibly important tradition that was instituted by Jesus has been influenced by the culture, which leads to more division, which has already been a big issue throughout the book of Corinthians. And it's a shame that the way we, we do things in church, the way we uh, do church is still dividing people. It's still ostracizing people, still isolating people. Whatever it might be, it might be the songs we sing, the language we use, the unspoken expectations that makes church inaccessible for the very people that Jesus wants here. The problem is the Corinthians were abusing the Lord's Supper and using it to serve their own agendas, uh, their own interests, to fill their own stomachs. So Paul reminds them what was handed down. We established what the problem is. What did Jesus actually hand down? So from verse 23, uh, he, he shares, he brings them back to what communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever you call it, is what it's really all about. He says, what I receive from the Lord, I also pass on to you. So this is a tradition that's been received and passed on. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed. So the day before Jesus died uh, on the cross, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, after they'd eaten, he took a cup He took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul returns to what communion is all about. And on one hand, it's it's straightforward. It's Jesus' body and blood broken and poured out for us. But at the same time, 
it's actually quite complex. And this issue, this tradition, has been one of the most divisive issues in the, ch- in the whole history of the church. We might think it's other things today, but in the history, in the 2,000 years that there's been a people called, the, called Christians, this has been one of the, the most divisive issues. And as we think about uh, the Lord's Supper and, um, and communion, what's it all about? It's good to, to turn back to people who have spent a long time thinking about it. And a particular time at which there was a lot of debate around the Lord's Supper was during the Reformation in the 1600s. This was one of the real hot topics. Uh, this is what people were debating, even practically killing each other over, uh, was how we administer and do and uh, join in and participate in the Lord's Supper. And so, looking back to some of these guys who weren't burdened by uh, Facebook or Google or phones and actually had time to think very deeply about these things, there was four main perspectives in, in the 1600s around the uh, around uh, the Reformation, which is related to the question of what the purpose, what's the point of the Lord's Supper, and what's, what's actually happening when we share in it. Of course, the, the, one of the most popular views was that held by the Catholics who believed in transubstantiation. Transubstantiation, nice big word to throw around. Effectively, what that means is they believed that when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, he meant it literally. So that when we take communion, it would transform, transubstance, and actually become Jesus' very body and and blood, become his flesh. And and, uh, that was important because uh, as we take it, it became sacred. It was was Jesus' God's body and blood and became sacred. Therefore, because it was so sacred, we had to protect it. And there, there came all these restrictions that came around the means by which we share in the Lord's Supper, means by which we share in communion, and even in some times and places that only the priest was allowed to share in communion, or only the priest could have uh, the wine, although other people could have bread, and then only certain people of certain status were allowed to uh, eat of it and partake of it, and got to the point that it was actually very exclusive, very exclusive. But this idea that it was the very uh, uh, flesh or, and, and blood of Jesus that it, that it transformed as we took it, uh, that doesn't really make sense because it, it doesn't seem what Jesus was saying. And so Luther came along and he disagreed with the Catholic, Catholic Church on a whole lot of things. And one of them was on the Lord's Supper. And he says that the, the communion doesn't um, transform entirely into the body and blood in Jesus. But what it is, is that Jesus' uh, physical body or spiritual body and blood is with and under the bread and wine. So effectively, it's there, but we can't see it. And that, in his perspective, he called consubstantiation. So not an entire transformation, but just kind of like a transformation, but we just can't see or feel or taste it. Thank goodness we can't taste it. Um, but that gets confusing because it's kind of, is it transformed, is it not? It's still sacred, so it's quite close to um, 
the Catholic understanding. So if we think Catholics were over here and are over here with transubstantiation, then Luther's like a little bit of a step back, consubstantiation. Zwingli, on the other hand, another reformer, went swung all the way the other way and goes, it's a memorial. It's a symbol. It's a, a ritual we do to remember uh, the Lord. Uh, and it's um, just a tradition like any other tradition. And it's not, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that important, but it's still good to do. And if, if it is just a ritual, if it's just something we do to remember uh, the Lord, then what's the big problem that Paul has with the Corinthians? Why does he say things like you're sinning against the body and blood of Christ? How can we sin against a ritual? Or just just a symbol. It's because it's so much more than just a symbol, just something we do. When Jesus uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, that remembrance meal for Christians, it was in the context of another remembrance meal. It was in the context of the Passover which for the Jewish people is what they did to celebrate their deliverance uh, from Egypt during the Exodus. And there's a whole series of, 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 of a meal and different cups they had at different point to proclaim and participate uh, in, that, in that event. But the way that, that, that Jewish people would celebrate Passover, it wasn't just something to, to remember something else happening to someone else. It was core to their identity. When, when, uh, when the host would um, uh, pick up the cup of proclamation, he would say something along the lines of, you were delivered. You and I were delivered from Egypt, brought out of Egypt by God into the promised land. And, and the people listening would go, yes, I, was del- I am delivered as an Israelite, as a person of God. It's me. They're talking about me. And so when, when Paul says, uh, these are the words to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, He's referencing that cup of proclamation. And when Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, and when we say it today, we, we think of what Jesus has done, and it's not just an event in the past. And when we say Jesus' body was broken, it was broken for you. It was broken for me. When we say Jesus' blood was spilt, it was spilt for your sin, for the forgiveness of your sins. It was spilt for the forgiveness of my sins. And so this meal, this uh, ritual we do is a participation in Jesus' death and resurrection by receiving it. By receiving it. And that comes to uh, Calvin's perspective. So another guy from the time in Geneva, uh, the time of the Reformation, he, um, he, his perspective he calls uh, signification or signification. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but uh, let's call it signification because it's about the sign. Now, if we think we approach, uh, before we step into what 
Calvin says about communion, if we think about a sign, and say we've got a sign that points to Cleland uh, around the corner, you know, around the corner here. Now, the sign is, is just a sign, but it does have power and meaning because it points to the matter, which is Cleland National Park. There's a thing there that gives meaning and purpose to the sign. But even that matter, it, you don't just go to be in a place called Cleland and just go be in a place, but you go to feed the kangaroos. You go to uh, experience and enjoy the effect of what the sign is pointing to. And so that's how Calvin talked about communion. It's a sign, which is communion, which is the, the, the symbols are the, the bread and the wine, but the matter, the substance of it, what gives it power is Jesus, his death and resurrection. But there's an effect that we enjoy. There's an effect that we, we, we do uh, we look at the sign and use the sign in order to experience, and that's union with Christ, he talks about. Actually being connected and dwelling with Jesus, receiving the effect of what Jesus has done. And so when we participate in this meal, uh, we receive the promises of Jesus. We, we exist and experience the outcome of his sacrifice, the redemption the forgiveness, the freedom, the restoration, the reconciliation, the justification, the sanctification, the washing, the rebirth, the renewal, the eternal life, the comfort, the healing, the peace we receive. Not that we didn't have it without communion, but we receive and experience it through participating in what Jesus has done for us through this this. Uh, tradition that he passed on for us. And we claim these things as real and true for me and for you. So receiving communion is an act of faith uh, because it, it says, this is true for me. I receive it. I participate in this as a recipient of God's grace. And as we share in this meal, it it points us and reminds us to, to the work that Jesus had done on a cross. And, and it represents Jesus giving up his rights and his status to lift us up. But the Corinthians were using this meal to reinforce their own rights and statuses. This sacrifice of Jesus that was for everyone for the rich and the poor, they kept exclusive, effectively, they kept exclusive just for the rich and undermined the whole point that, that communion was all about. They missed the point of the meal from changing it from about Jesus to about themselves. And so Paul goes, well, what should we do? What should we do? How, how can the Corinthian church change their behavior? Because their behavior is inappropriate in how they're treating this meal. And three things I'll draw from this last part. Be careful, be considerate, and be ready to confess. The first one, be careful. Paul says, don't do this in an unworthy manner. 
This is a serious tradition. This is a serious meal. He says, uh, so then whoever eats, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. They'll be guilty again of sinning, of, of um, betraying, rejecting the very body and blood that they're consuming and participating, but they're sinning against Jesus by misusing, misappropriating his tradition. Paul even alludes to God judging the Corinthians in 30. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep because they've been abusing the Lord's Supper. And that's not okay. And God is judging them for that. And this is serious stuff. When we take something that God has instituted for his church, for his body, and abuse it to fit our purposes. And we use it to divide rather than unite. We allow it to be, for, for the church to be influenced by the culture that which has been instituted by Jesus. So the, one of the questions I think this passage asks us is, can an act of Christian worship undermine its own purpose? If we, if we use worship in a certain way and use songs that, that kind of like really niche and people don't really understand and, and it's, it's you know, unhelpful for some, that undermines the whole point of calling people to worship. If, the, if we put restrictions on coming to the Lord's table of only people who've done this course or only people who uh, you know, are dressed a certain way, or, or it undermines the whole point of church being God's people, open and free and uh, inviting to everyone. Is there ways that we worship that actually undermines the whole point? That undermine the message of love and grace and forgiveness that Jesus is all about. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be considerate. Paul gives a pretty straightforward instruction of a way to actually be considerate with those who are joining in together. And he says, anyone who's hungry, in verse 34, just eat at home. Just eat at home so you don't find yourself... Uh, in, in the house and you're hungry and therefore you eat lots and you enjoy the meal and then you leave people out. Just eat at home. Don't make communion all about the meal. Don't make communion about something else. Keep it about Jesus. And so he, he, like he's, he's effectively saying, like, accommodate other people. There's practical things we can do to keep church and can keep the Lord's Traditions open and accessible to everyone. And so what can we do to accommodate others? What can we do to make those around you and I feel welcomed, valued and honored and invited into this space? Is there anything that you or I do at church that would make someone else feel like a second-class Christian? If there is, we should stop it or we should change it. 
And this might mean looking at the kind of songs we sing. It might mean looking at uh, the expectations we have on people. It might mean looking at how we park our cars. Because that is a limiting factor. And the last thing anyone here wants is someone to drive into the car park being a little bit late because, you know, the kids have been tough and whatever. They're late for good reasons. They come in, or even late for bad reasons. It's fine. They come in. (laughs) This is not an excuse to come late to church. (laughs) Stay with me. They come in. They can't find a park. And so they leave. No one wants that. That's going to be a challenge for us if we stay in one service. And, and so a way to accommodate, that, accommodate um, those and help people feel welcome, valued, and honored would be those who can park at the far end of the car park or even on the street to allow uh, the elderly and those with young families to come and park close by so that church can be accessible for them, that they don't feel like there's barriers or hindrances to coming in and worshiping together. What can we do to be considerate of others? And the last one, be ready to confess. Or in other words, be self-examining. Examine yourself. Consider yourselves. Your action, how you've treated others. Uh, As we come uh, to church, as we come to be part of the body of Christ, why are we actually here? And the point... Paul is making is not to have a slap on the wrist and, and just to have a guilt trip um, uh, as Christians or, you know, coming to church and feel guilty. He says, but if we were more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. The point that Paul's making is that we might recognize that selfish attitude in ourselves, that there's reasons that we're doing things Uh, different to how the Lord would want us to do it. It's because our own selfish attitudes, our own influences that we're just unaware of and uh, that where we've made different parts of church, not about Jesus, we actually made them about us, about our preferences, about what's easy and convenient and, and fun for ourselves. And the point is not to make us feel guilty. The point is that we would uh, confess that and bring it to the cross, bring it to Jesus, and return to the one who it is all really about. And even if we are judged, like the Corinthians were in verse 30, it's to draw us back to God. Paul says we're disciplined so that we might come back to who it's really all about. Verse 32, nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined. Like a parent disciplines their children, not to make them feel judged or bad, but actually to bring them back, to bring them home, to keep them safe, to bring them back um, to relationship so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Now, as a quick aside, I think um, when we think of God disciplining the church, uh, there's one area of the church that we're experiencing a lot of pressure, a lot of condemnation from the world. And, uh, and that's the, the, the exposure of corruption in the church, the sexual abuse, uh, leadership failures, cult, like toxic cultures that uh, 
it just keeps on coming up. Even just this past week, there was a report released, the investigation in the Southern Baptist Convention um, in America, and it was horrible what was uncovered by these investigations. And the church globally is being judged, is being disciplined, uh, and it hurts. Like, I, we've, I've got to admit, like, being part of a church and being a pastor, it, it hurts to see the church um, suffering in this way. But that's necessary for justice for those who the church has harmed and hurt. And I think what we're seeing, this, this increase in um, exposure of really ugly stuff in the church is a kindness of God. Not the ugly stuff, but the exposure of it. Because by exposing it, we're being judged. We're being disciplined. We're being challenged for what church is really all about, what Christianity is really all about. God is bring, drawing us back to himself away from celebrity pastor, away from institutional power, away from whatever else we've made church about. He's bringing us back to Jesus, showing us that even the church, this pillar of piety, is flawed and broken and corrupt. And we need Jesus. We need his forgiveness. And we need, and again, we need justice for those who've been harmed and hurt and betrayed. And so when our friends say to us, and gosh, I get this all the time, you know, the church is corrupt. The church is evil. I go, yeah, it is corrupt. And we've got to do whatever we can to, to bring that to the light. The church is corrupt, but Jesus is king. And it's hard to say, but I think we should welcome uh, the investigation, welcome the, the discipline. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the church's uh, finances. It's going to hurt the church's reputation. It's going to hurt the church in a whole lot of ways. But it will be so good for us to bring us back to who it's all about, to Jesus. And so to conclude, uh, this message has been uh, about the Lord's Supper, and we've gone, we've had a dip through history and some of the theology of the Lord's Supper, but let, let's actually participate in it. Let's gather together and take a moment to remind ourselves who is this really all about. And uh, as we do that, Remembering this is, this is participating in what Jesus has done for us, in his work for us. And there's, there's one um, commentator that talks about this is an opportunity to look around, to look at what Jesus has done. And there's six ways we look. We look back and we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We look up. And realize the, the reconciliation with God, the restored relationship we have with God because of what Jesus has done. We look around. 
We, because of what Jesus has done, we also have restored relationship with one another. This is not something we do privately. This is something we do as a community. We look in and we examine our own hearts. We examine the, the spaces in our lives where we need to confess and ask for forgiveness, where we've been making things about ourselves, where we need to bring that to Jesus and release it and put things in where they're meant to be and make Jesus king over every part of our lives. We look out. Paul says we do this, uh, that we would proclaim the Lord's death. And we're not just doing that to each other. We proclaim, we declare to those outside the church. We do this. This meal is to show not just ourselves, but others what Jesus has done. And we look forward. We look forward to the day that he will come again and bring in that great feast where everyone will be welcome at the Lord's table. And there is no end to the Lord's table or an atrium or an outside area. It is just God's people, all people, dwelling with him in his presence, living in the outcome of his sacrifice for eternity. So as we come, we've got uh, bread here and, and uh, juice. Again, the, you know, if I take from Calvin, the, the actual materials don't really matter. It's, it's, the matter is Jesus. And as we, as we come together and we think about the bread broken, Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for us, uh, we'll move this up in the middle in a second, and uh, Fran and Neville will, will um, serve it in a COVID-safe manner because we don't want to make this inaccessible to anyone for COVID reasons. But let's do those things. Let's look up, look back, look around, look in, look out, and look forward. And as we do that, I'll read uh, what Jesus passed down again, if, if you guys want to bring this up. Thank you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray and then we'll come participate in communion together. And I'll pray once more after that as well. Lord, we thank you for the times that you've rebuked your church and passages like this where Paul is quite harsh against the Corinthians. Lord, we recognize that we are no better than them. Uh, there are ways that we've made church about ourselves. There are ways that we've been divisive and isolating towards other people. Uh, that ways that we've made church inaccessible to those who you love and want to be part of this. Lord, we pray you would help us realize those ways. 
you would uncover those things. And wherever there has been injustice done in your name, Lord, we pray for justice. And we pray for your discipline, as hard as that might look and be. Because God, as a, as a community, we want to reflect Jesus. His love, his grace and his forgiveness. His truth. And Lord, as we come to your table and we come to eat uh, this bread and, and, and this juice, that we pray you would just fill us uh, with it. That you would feed our souls as we experience the blessing of what Jesus has done on the cross and rising again. That new life, the forgiveness, the grace, the healing, the peace. Whatever it is, Lord, that, that you know that we need in this moment, we pray you would give it to us and we would thank you for it and worship you. And Lord, we pray again as we receive these that we would do this in a way that honors you and we will keep you as a center of this church, you as the purpose and you as the only priority. We pray, thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.